Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. This is Basketball History 101 with Rick Loiza. Welcome back to Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network. I am your host, Rick Loiza, and this is the podcast where we bring to life some of the forgotten stories from basketball history. And today, we are going to talk about one of the most lucrative sports contracts ever signed. It's not a player contract. The very largest player contracts in the United States are in the area of $300 million in total. It's not even an endorsement contract. No, the contract that we are going to talk about today is the contract between a team called the Spirits of St. Louis and a group of four NBA teams, the San Antonio Spurs, the Denver Nuggets, the Indiana Pacers, and the Brooklyn Nets. By the time the contract was renegotiated in 2014, it had earned close to $1 billion for its benefactors. But to really understand this story, we need to go back to when the contract was signed in 1976. Actually, we need to go back to even before the contract was signed in order to understand how the contract was created in the first place. So let's go all the way back to the mid-1960s. From 1967 until 1976, there was a second professional basketball league in the United States. It was called the ABA, the American Basketball Association. I've mentioned the ABA before in previous episodes simply because it's hard to talk about basketball history without acknowledging this alternative league. You see, the various ABA owners were a group of businessmen who wanted to be in the NBA. Many of them had approached the NBA about starting new teams or buying existing teams. For a variety of reasons, they were all told no. So they got together to start the ABA and named George Mikan as their first commissioner. That gave them instant credibility. It would be like a bunch of people today starting a new basketball league and hiring Michael Jordan to be the commissioner. That would get you noticed and that would get you talked about. The goal of these owners was to grow their league in popularity so that they could force a merger with the NBA and then they would all become NBA owners in one fell swoop. And it was actually a good idea. They had just witnessed the same plan working out for some owners of American football teams and they thought that they could pull off the same thing. Here in the United States, we used to have something called the AFL, the American Football League. And it had grown in popularity and had begun beating NFL teams in exhibition games or friendlies. Now, if this were a football show, I would probably do a 10 episode series on just the one story of the AFL forcing a merger with the NFL. But I'll just give you the highlights for the purposes of context. The AFL became increasingly popular and increasingly competitive each season they played. Finally, in Super Bowl III, the New York Jets of the AFL beat the Baltimore Colts of the NFL. And this scared the NFL. If they continued to lose games to the AFL, they feared that they would begin to lose popularity and lose income. 
The results of that Super Bowl created a chain reaction that forced the NFL to agree to a merger with the AFL. Those two leagues became one big league under the NFL name. And that is what the ABA owners were hoping for with the NBA. They wanted to be the basketball version of the AFL-NFL football merger. After all, if it worked for football, why couldn't it work in basketball? And now, it's time to meet the main subjects of today's story. The Silna brothers, Ozzy and Daniel. They had made their fortune in the textile industry. They were one of the first manufacturers of this brand new fabric called polyester. And with their polyester fortune, they attempted to buy the Detroit Pistons. The Silnas offered $4.75 million, but the Pistons wanted $5.1 million. That's a difference of only $350,000. But remember, this is the early 70s. $350,000 was a much bigger difference back then than it is today. And the two sides could not manage to come together to a number that they both felt comfortable with. So the deal fell through. Then the Silnas thought to themselves, hey, let's buy an ABA team at a lower price and try to hang around until a merger happens with the NBA. The Silnas were not original owners in the NBA. They bought into the league after it had already started. So the Silna brothers purchased the Carolina Cougars of the ABA for $1.5 million. But the Cougars were not making very much money. In fact, they were losing money. So the brothers decided to move the team to St. Louis and change their name to the Spirits of St. Louis in honor of the airplane that Charles Lindbergh used to make the first non-stop transatlantic flight from New York to Paris back in 1927. In case you ever want to see the actual airplane, it's in the Smithsonian in Washington DC at the National Air and Space Museum. I've taken my family to see it and it's pretty cool to look at. A replica of the plane hangs from the ceiling at Lambert Airport in St. Louis, Missouri. And I've seen that one too as I used to do business in St. Louis. But anyway, back to our story. The brothers figured that being in St. Louis gave them the best chance at financial success because St. Louis was the largest city in the United States that did not have a professional basketball team. But after just two years of owning the Spirits, the two leagues decided to merge. Now let me pause for a moment and say that the story of the ABA-NBA merger is definitely a story for a future episode. And I have definite plans to tell that story at some point because it is really a great story. And if you love basketball history, you're going to want to know about it. But for now, I'm just going to cover the final detail between the two leagues as they negotiated this merger. See, sometimes I get into this place where I struggle to figure out which story to tell next because I love all of these stories. And I want to share them all with you. In my show planner, I have 150 story ideas already planned out. At a rate of one episode per week, that means that I have the next three years worth of episodes already planned. And honestly, I come up with two or three new ideas every week. So my planning list actually keeps getting longer and longer instead of shorter and shorter. But enough about me, let's get back to our story of the most lucrative deal in sports history. And we will do that right after this break. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Welcome back to the show. Let's pick up where we left off. 
The Silna brothers own the Spirits of St. Louis, and the time has come for the ABA and the NBA to finally merge and become one big league. At this point, there are only seven teams left in the ABA. The NBA did not fully realize just how shaky the ABA teams were financially, or they may not have merged at all. But the NBA did know enough that it gave them the advantage in the negotiations since they were much stronger financially. And they said that they were only going to take four ABA teams into the NBA. The other three ABA teams would be given buyouts to close their franchises and just go away. The Silnas were really hoping that the Spirits were going to get one of those four spots in the NBA. They really wanted to be NBA owners. But they were not one of the teams chosen. The four spots were given to the San Antonio Spurs, the Indiana Pacers, the New York Nets, now the Brooklyn Nets, and the Denver Nuggets. So what to do with the three remaining teams? The Virginia Squires literally ran out of money and had to fold just before negotiations started, leaving only two teams that had to negotiate a buyout. The Kentucky Colonels negotiated a $3.3 million buyout. That money came directly from the four ABA teams chosen to join the NBA. And that was a weird decision because the Colonels were one of the most financially stable ABA franchises. They were a really successful team both on the court and financially, but they went for the short-term payday and closed the team and walked away. But the Silna brothers wanted to negotiate something a little different. They recognized the potential of the NBA and felt very strongly that the league was going to continue to grow in the future and they wanted a piece of the action for the future. Also, the brothers weren't quite as desperate for cash since their textile business was doing extremely well for them. So here is what they negotiated. They took a one-time payment of $2.2 million from the sale of their player contracts to NBA teams. Basically, they auctioned off their player contracts to the highest bidders. For example, they sold the contract for Marvin Barnes to the Detroit Pistons for $500,000. They also sold the contract for Moses Malone to the Portland Trailblazers for $300,000, and so on. So that netted them $2.2 million, and that money all came from existing NBA teams. Now, here is the real genius in their negotiations. Unlike the Kentucky Colonels, the Spirits were not asking for any money up front from the four surviving ABA teams. And that was a very good thing because the four ABA teams really didn't have that much money left after giving $3.3 million to the Colonels. So here is what the Spirits asked for. They wanted a one-seventh share of all future national-level broadcast revenue. That is a one-seventh of the broadcast revenue from each of the four ABA teams that were joining the NBA. So in total, they would be getting a four-seventh share of broadcast revenue that the existing NBA teams were getting. And since TV revenue was very small at the time for the NBA, the four ABA teams were more than happy to sign that deal. Even they couldn't see what the future held for the league, financially speaking. And how did they come up with the figure of one-seventh? Well, at the time that the two leagues agreed to enter into merger negotiations, 
there were seven ABA teams, as I mentioned, and the Spirits were one of them. They were one out of seven. So let me take a moment to explain how TV revenue works in the NBA. I don't want to get too deep into the details because this is a basketball show, not a business show. But here goes. In the NBA, national level revenue from television broadcasts of their games are split equally among all 30 teams, or however many teams there are in the league in any given season. In that first year of the merged league, they had 22 teams, 18 existing NBA teams, and the four new ABA teams. And the national level TV revenue includes all games on national television. Today, that would include ABC, ESPN, TNT, and the NBA TV channels. It also includes all international broadcasting revenue. This all goes into one big pot and gets split equally among all the teams in the league, regardless of how many times your team actually appears in those nationally televised games. But the local revenue is not shared with anyone. For example, when a 76ers game is shown on ESPN to the whole country, that money gets split equally among all the teams in the league. But when the 76ers are shown locally in Philadelphia, that money is completely kept by the 76ers. Again, the Spirits were getting one-seventh of the national level broadcast revenue from each of the four ABA teams. The contract, even though it was signed in 1976, did not begin until 1980 per the NBA. That just was one of the rules. So in that first year that the contract was active, the Silna brothers received a total of $500,000 for the 1980-81 season. But as Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, and later Michael Jordan joined the league, Revenue was growing leaps and bounds as the overall popularity of the league grew. By the year 2000, the Silnas were making over $12 million per year. By the year 2014, the Silnas were getting $20 million per year. Basically, they negotiated a golden goose. Well, technically it's the goose that laid golden eggs, but you know what I'm saying. They had to do absolutely nothing but wait for their annual deposit to arrive each year into their bank account. And each year, their payment was larger than the year before. But then something happened. The NBA began to stream many of their games over the internet. The NBA considered revenue from streaming as being outside of the contract. But the Silnas thought otherwise. They turned to the contract and said that the online streaming is definitely part of the term broadcast as defined in the contract, and they had a right to their share of those revenues. So the Silna sued the NBA to have online revenue included in their payment. So the NBA switched strategies and used this as an opportunity to buy out the Silnas. Over the years, there have been several attempts by the NBA and the four ABA teams, or former ABA teams, to buy out the contract so that these teams could keep their entirety of an ever-growing revenue stream. But previously, the Silnas have refused every buyout offer. And as the story goes, time went on and the brothers started getting older, and they wanted to make sure that their children and grandchildren were taken care of. You see, the contract would be inherited by their children. When the contract was written back in 1976, the brothers set up a limited partnership called the Spirits of St. Louis Basketball Club, 
Basically, they had to set up a legal entity for the purposes of receiving the annual payment from the NBA. And the money would go to the owners of that legal entity in perpetuity. In other words, the owners were going to get paid forever. So when the Silna brothers die, their children will inherit ownership of that legal entity and they'll keep receiving their share of that NBA TV revenue money. But now is the time for the NBA to make the buyout happen once and for all. The four former ABA teams offered the Silnas a one-time payment of $500 million in return for a significantly reduced share of future broadcast revenue. In exchange, the Silnas had to drop their lawsuit over the NBA streaming revenue and could not sue for it again in the future. The Silnas agreed. So technically, they still get an annual payment from the NBA, but it is a much smaller payment today. In the year 2020, the contract had earned the Silnas somewhere in the area between $800 million and $1 billion over 40 years. Now, we don't have the exact numbers because those are not made public. So these are just estimates put together by financial sports people. But they'll keep collecting that money well into the future. Remember the original investment in the Carolina Cougars back in 1974? It was for just $1.5 million. And they've turned that into nearly $1 billion. Now that's how you make an investment. And that's why the contract is considered by many, including me, to be the most lucrative contract in sports history. It makes the $3 million that the Kentucky Colonels took look like chump change. I guess if there's a lesson to take here from this story, it's always to look at the long-term impact of your decisions. Let's not look at just what our decision means for today or next month or next year, but what will our decision mean 10 years from now, 20 years from now? That's what the Silnas did, and it paid off incredibly well. They had the vision and imagination to see that the NBA was going to be huge. But in the end, the Colonels ended up okay too. Their owner was a man named John Y. Brown, and he took the $3 million from his buyout and he later bought the Buffalo Braves of the NBA. He then traded that ownership of the Braves to become the new owner of the Boston Celtics. And he was also the governor of Kentucky for a while, so he ended up doing pretty well for himself. As for the Silnas, Ozzy, the older brother, passed away in 2016, so his children received his portion of the annual payment from the NBA. Daniel is still with us and continues to be a symbol of one of the wisest investments in sports history. Actually, it's one of the wisest investments in investment history. So there is definitely a lesson to be learned here. If nothing else, now you know why the word perpetuity is so important in legal contracts. It means forever. Well, that's our story for today. Join us next time as we profile the career of Nate Thurman, a Hall of Famer, one of the 50 greatest players in NBA history, and the first player to officially record a quadruple-double. That's next time on Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com to find out more about this and other sports history podcasts. If you like what you hear, please hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. 
and go ahead and give us a rating and a review and it'll help others find this podcast more easily. And check out our page on Facebook. It's called Basketball History 101 Podcast. There you will find shorter historical posts as well as comments and discussion starters on today's game. I'll also announce there when new episodes come out. I want to thank my producer and editor, Jacob Loiza. Join us each week as we continue to mine the history of basketball for more great stories from the past. And don't forget to check out sportshistorynetwork.com for more information on my podcast and the rest of the podcasts on our network. Take care and see you soon. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. This is Mark Mortier, and if you're a sports history fan like me, tune in and hear me talk about some great sports moments of the past. Growing up during the 1970s, I got to watch some of the most iconic moments in sports history. Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's home run record. Willis Reed limping out of the locker room in Game 7 of the NBA Finals at Madison Square Garden as the fans erupted with a thunderous ovation. The 1980 Miracle on Ice as Team USA defeated the powerful Soviet Union in the Olympics. Listen every Tuesday on Yesterday's Sports. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.